What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by three awesome Bitcoin companies. The first is Shift Crypto, makers of the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. If you're new to Bitcoin, this is an excellent wallet to get you started. It's very easy to set up, very easy to use. And if you're a bit more experienced, it has a lot of awesome features that I think you'll be impressed by. If you'd like to learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapidfire for 5% off. And until December 26th, when you order a Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet, you get the little Bitcoin book and a personalized Christmas card for free. So if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift for that person you've been trying to orange pill, check them out. Next up is the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was nuts. Such a great experience. I met so many people, developed so many really good relationships. Didn't spend much time uh, listening to the speakers, but uh, hung out a lot in the grounds, met so many plebs, uh, talked about Bitcoin, connected with so many people. It's just an amazing experience. Lots of great parties, lots of great memories that I'll cherish for uh, the rest of my life. So if you've been hanging on the sidelines and you want to meet some more Bitcoiners, this is probably the best place to do it. So go to their website, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout and get yourself 10% off any ticket you choose to buy. And finally, Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, this is the way to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means as soon as you buy your Bitcoin, they send it to you, hopefully your cold storage. They don't hang on to it, which means it's less susceptible to uh, loss and theft and anything else that happens when the coins are not in your control. Also, the launch of BitcoinSupport.com. If you're looking for support on how to set up Bitcoin properly, so how to buy and then also store and custody your Bitcoin properly, this site is for you. But perhaps more importantly, if there's people in your life that you have been orange pilling, but you don't want to hold their hand and go through the process of setting things up for them, send them to BitcoinSupport.com and they'll take care of everything. I know I'm going to use this a ton because, of course, I talk to people about Bitcoin all the time. And the first question is, how do I do it? How do I get it set up? And that's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. The website is live and it's ready to roll. So you can start sending your normie friends and your family members there now. That's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. And we're live. Yeah, Foss, I'm loving the uh, mix-ups that people are doing of your podcast appearance and your excitement when you're talking about, you know, the bond market and grade 11 math and such things. They, they, they kill me. I love these guys. Like they, they get these segments and I, I have no idea. I really say this stuff. And then, uh, you know, you sort of take a, a step back and you say, oh, well, you know what, you can't take it back. So you might as well live with it. Right. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah. So boys, it's good to, uh, speak to you again. I was just realizing that I think it's, it was almost six months ago that we, we did this minus Preston because he was a little too cool for us that day. But, um, <laughs> <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> And, but, and, 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 and remember, you didn't have a shirt on. So right, you, right. Yeah, 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 I've matured since then, it seems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I can't believe it's been six months. I mean, crazy. it's insane how fast time is going and how much is happening in that time. It's wild. And we were speaking beforehand about uh, El Salvador. So why don't we, I mean, we, we can obviously talk about whatever we want here, but I feel like that's a good one to crack into because there's so many interesting elements. So what are you, what are your guys' thoughts on what's been going on since the big announcement? Well, not the, since the announcements. Let's let's say since the law in September, I guess. You know, you know what I'd rather do, John. I'd rather start with you because you've been there twice. We're going. I'm going. I, I I'm going. But you've been there twice. What does it feel like on the on on the ground? 
Well, uh, as I was just saying to you guys, it, I love the feeling, you know, like I was skeptical, didn't know how, you know, I'm, I'm a, as hard a hodler as there is, you know, I don't like let go, letting go of my Bitcoin. And I was thinking like, yeah, am I really going to want to spend it? You know, I'll bring a bunch of US dollars so I can spend that instead. You know, it doesn't really make sense logically, but it's just a emotional attachment to your, your stack. And um, got there. I wasn't there for the special treatment at the airport, but I understand closer to the conference because I was there a few weeks before. But at immigration, there was people holding up Bitcoiner signs and allowing them to like skip through the line and everything. And <laughs> I, it really seemed like, first of all, it was super cool to have Bitcoin be ubiquitous. I mean, it is the Bitcoin standard that we often talk about, and it is really, really cool. And just to fast forward a bit, when I came back to where I am now, which I'm keeping on the DL uh, publicly, but um, it felt so dumb. Like I came back to this market, this economy, this you know system where Bitcoin wasn't ubiquitous and you got to hit up the ATM and pay withdrawal fees and you get screwed over on the FX spread and all this kind of stuff just to spend your money. Whereas before you just go up to a guy selling pupusas, sandwiches, beer, whatever, ping them with a, or you go up to the beer tab, you know, someone had set this cool thing up at the conference where you that. just scan the QR code and it pours you out a draft beer. It was amazing, you know? And uh, so the vibe was cool. There really seems to be an energy um, in the country. And I spoke with Michael Peterson there from Bitcoin Beach, who's been there over 15 years. And he kind of confirmed that that was the case, that there was a real oh, the last, you know, Bukele's period that had begin had begun to, to change you know, less violence, more opportunity, more stability, that kind of stuff. But since the Bitcoin stuff, even though there's all sorts of um, misunderstandings and, and people are not familiar with it yet, and people don't really know how to use it or understand it yet. But it's amazing that just after two months, you know, when we were there two months since the law came in, that it was starting to percolate through and you could use Bitcoin at restaurants and, you know, legit places and gyms and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, now with the announcement of Bitcoin City and the volcano bonds and all this stuff, I mean, for a country that small, who has so much room to, you know, to grow, it, I think a lot of us, and, and then, of course, the over, a lot of Bitcoiners, I don't know how you guys feel about all this, but a lot of Bitcoiners are very critical of the COVID stuff. And so it seemed like they made an overture when all the Bitcoiners were there and paying attention by removing the testing requirement for entering the country and reiter reiterating that there wouldn't be any mandates. And I think that was something that was a nod to a lot of Bitcoiners. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners as a result of that are starting to look at spending some time there, maybe buying property there, maybe investing, investing in the country. Max and Stacy are becoming citizens, you I know, to much fanfare. And so I don't know, man, I mean, I, Foss, this might be a question for you, but like in a, in a global bond market of whatever it is, two, 300 trillion negative real yields, if you throw in something there that underlying is Bitcoin and has a six and a half percent yield, that alone, I, I mean, I feel like there's going to be so much demand for it that the, the future really looks bright for this country if, if, things, if things keep going in this direction, you know, so I, I, I was super impressed. 100% agree. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is we have to understand the uh, where the existing debt trades and the uh, let's just use 13% as a number I haven't used, uh, I haven't looked recently, but if that's their yield on the existing debt, and this uh, 
debt that has an option on the performance of Bitcoin is priced at a six and a half percent yield. It's interesting that this, the, the delta between the two, the 13% versus the six and a half percent, which is six and a half percent, is basically the price that the market will pay for the optionality of the Bitcoin performance, right? And that's cool. And all I am not up to date. The last time I saw the book was at about three to four hundred million. Do you guys have a uh, an update as to what the size of the book is in in terms of the uh, um, you know the interest of the one the one billion total? But regardless of whether they get to one billion or not, I would suspect that they're still going to do a portion of that, given that they have six you know. Uh, substantial demand three to four hundred million i think they'll get to a billion it's like anything it's it's a process and uh this is a new process because it's not being run by wall street underwriters you know this is not where the wall street underwriter has gone out and canvassed and said to pimco for example hey uh, you know on the hush hush we're bringing a new issue how much can i put you in the book for pimco will say something like you know at six and a half percent i'll be in for a hundred million you bring it to seven and a half percent, I'll take the whole issue. You know, this is how the big accounts talk, you know, because a billion dollars, a, a big account, a billion dollars, they, they're like, okay, that's that's not a really big allocation. So you get these in institutional land, you get these big accounts that are the the lead orders, they, they uh, shape the deal. And then the underwriter basically opens it up to the rest of the world. Well, we don't have that in the Bitcoin world, right? We Perhaps we have some whales that are saying, you know, I'll take... Uh, you know, tens of millions. I'm not privy to that conversation, but it's not like you go to a PIMCO or a CPPIB or Ontario Teachers or CalPERS, you know, the big accounts, Fidelity, where Fidelity just says, and I've sat in that chair, I've given orders to, to Citibank where, you know, my total order was upwards of 750 million, but it was structured. It was 250 million. I'll take at this yield. I'll take 500 million at this yield, I'll take 750 million at this yield, successively higher prices, meaning you'll take more down. And it's up to the underwriter to figure out, okay, where does it fit in? You know, how does it break on pricing? How, how, how many accounts want to flip it, make a quick uh, couple of points on the bonds? It's, it's, it's a game. Preston knows it. It's a game. This doesn't exist in this underwriting process. And therefore, it's, it's a new, it's, it's new. But the cool thing is, they have a book and the process is going. And once they get a billion in the context, and I had to do my math on the fly with, uh, with Peter McCormick and I was wrong because there's $400 trillion of total global debt. And this is a $1 billion issue. That means this is one 400,000th of the entire global debt. Like this is just so small, right? But it's so important for a country to, uh, to to do this and, and change the lives of the citizenship and then not be a hostage to the IMF. So great call, want it to succeed. Even if it's not a blowout, the process is, is, is shown to, to be uh, uh, workable. And I have lots of, lots of hope for future, uh, future issuance like this. So Greg, you just, you, you just picked up on something. I think this is really important when people look at the Bitcoin bond or Chiva wallet or anything, anything else. In an open monetary network like we're dealing with, that is a new paradigm, there are going to be billions of experiments that also, do, and some of those experiments won't work. And every one of those experiments will inform how to do it better the next time. 
And so when you look at the Bitcoin bond in that relationship, it's already a success. It already yes. has a book. It already has, and the next the next time it's done, it's going to be have a, it'll have more success. And people are going to use that model um, in other countries, and they're going to say, "Wait, if that looked like this, if I just tweak it like this, it's going to drive forward." And all of those things, whether they're good, bad, don't work, work, they all reinforce the network, and they work, and because it that it's that it's that pro human progress on a new network that is teaching how to uh, how to evolve on top of that network and 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 so and that's that's probably the most exciting thing you could yell at bitcoin all you want you could but but you can't stop it and and people that are hopeful and moving for, moving forward are building all types of opportunity on top of it what do you think are the limits to the inflows they could see from the bond like i don't know that world at all right so are there like certain Foss, you were just saying like the big buyers have these criteria right that they usually go to the market with and buy based on on yield or what, what have you like what are the limits to el salvador let's say they they sell out the billion and they say hey let's do five and they sell out the five like what kind of constraints or limits are they subject to that yeah. would Great question. So, you know, like everything, the more they borrow, the more, you know, the more their uh, credit metrics get, uh, get pressured. And then in theory, the rating agency will come in and say, okay, well, look, uh, you know, now you're over your leverage ratios and et cetera, you'll get down, you'll, we'll have to downgrade you. And it, you know, I, I queried Michael Saylor on this and, and he's very, very smart in, in our spaces chat. I said to Michael Saylor, I said, brother, what price would you have issued your six and one eighth coupon instrument at like seriously what was your uh hurdle rate that you would not have gone to the market and i i, I said come on tell me the truth it was over eight percent wasn't it because you know he got it at six and an eight they came initially at price talk if i remember correctly six and a quarter to six and a half which meant the book was so big they were able to bring it below the low end of the price talk, which is six and a quarter yield. They brought it at six and an eighth, and it was wicked oversubscribed. I wanted to know from him. I say, Sailor, what to what price would you really have brought it at? You know, what was your? I'm not doing it. And he, you know, gave the political response. Well, I had to be careful for my equity holders. I didn't want to pay a rate that would appear that I was too. Uh, uh, I needed the money too badly. And that's true with, with El Salvador too, right? You can't issue at a coupon where the market says, wow, is things really this bad for the issuer? Now that's traditional lenders. And this issue is not gonna be bought by traditional lenders. This is what Jeff was pointing out. This is not, they're not going to PIMCO. Let me be very clear about that. Exactly. PIMCO may turn around and say, boy, it would be cool to put 25 million of this on my books. I don't know what PIMCO is doing. I'm not a, a sovereign debt trader in, in the uh, international markets, let's put it that way. But this will open eyes and this there will be guys who have exposure to the existing debt that's trading at 13% yield. And there's all sorts of arbitrage plays they can do there, right? The guys that own debt at 13% yield, it's trading at 90 cents on the dollar. This debt is going to be priced at 6.5% at par. So there's price games you can play. There's ways to hedge and wedge yourself. They want exposure to Bitcoin, but their investment committee doesn't allow them to own the physical. 
These guys are like, good, I can own the derivative. I'll play the option game. Plus my investment committee is so stupid, they don't even know what they're doing anyway. So I'm going to trick them. You know what I mean? This is all part of the Wall Street game and, and, and you know, trying to fit uh, it within, pigeonhole you within these, in, in these things that the, the investment committees do to you. So it'll morph over time. Right now, it's talk with whales. It's talk with small investors. Two years down the road, Jeff, I think you and I will be having this same conversation and Fidelity will give a lead order. For sure. Fidelity will be the lead order for an issue to El Salvador. And they'll basically say, I'll take the whole issue, but you're not going to sell it all to me, but I'm your backstop. I'll take the whole issue. And this is my, my, my yield. And the underwriter will say, that's why we love you, Fidelity. So you're the backstop and I'm going to sell it to the rest of the world at a lower yield. And you're going to get your super duper fill and everyone's going to be happy. What, what are the implications of the underlying uh, appreciating as much as Bitcoin could? Because you know, they're going to buy, aren't like half the bonds going to be held in Bitcoin, something like so that? So Preston would be a good commentator on that. I think I'll just say it's like anything. It's an option contract. There'll be people that the value the option at, let's say, you know, translate it into a yield. Someone will value the option at 8%, right? So let's say they value that option at 8%, plus they tack on the 6.5% running yield. Then all of a sudden you're at 14.5% versus the original bonds that are trading at 13%. So which ones do you buy? You sell the original bonds and you buy these because you're thinking you're getting a 14.5% equivalent yield versus a 13% stale fiat yield, right? These are all the combinations. There's other guys that'll say, nah, it's not worth 6.5% to get me the optionality of Bitcoin. I'm not interested, but this is what makes a market, right? And then there's other guys that'll be like, I got to get it no matter what. <laughs> I think it's worth 10% more than, than the 6.5%. So you're up to 16.5% yield now, you know? And, and this is called, you know, this is options theory and all the things that Preston. So over to you, Preston, why don't you uh, chime in? The only thing that I would add is the, the kicker that you're talking about, which is like a special uh, coupon that's, that's a kicker where I think, 500 million or I can't remember what the exact terms were, but it was, it was something like a half of it went into Bitcoin and is going to be released as a special coupon. Uh, once, uh, I forget what the trigger is, but it's not, it, it's obviously not paid out immediately. It's, it's something when the, uh, when the, the investors get a majority of their, of their buying power back that they invested, then the special, uh, coupon is released that is being held in Bitcoin. Now, what makes this so interesting is the market's going to start valuing the, these, uh, these bonds in the aftermarket after the issuance goes out. They're going to see the performance of the, of the bond as you start getting closer and closer to that special coupon being paid to the owners of that. And so there's going to be this enormous, well, I suspect there's going to be this massive premium that's going to be bid into the price of these of these bonds three, four, five years later after issuance, that the world is it's going to be so impossible to ignore it. Because you're going to be looking at this and being like, hold, hold on a second. If I would have bought this at issuance at X price and I would have just held it for these first five years, look how look how valuable these have become relative to all these other issuance out there in, in the fixed income market. And it's going to stand out in the same way that MicroStrategy common stock stands out right now relative to everything else on the market. When you're looking at MicroStrategy stock, you're like, well, what the hell did this company do 
in the past year and a half that made their stock price explode like this? Well, they, they're still doing the exact same business that they have been doing. The only difference is, is they started allocating all their retained earnings into Bitcoin. That's it. And so all these fixed income investors, in my opinion, three to five years from now, are going to be looking at this uh, demonstrative type example where a, a nation state, and they didn't even do it with a lot, is on a trend line to literally erase their entire sovereign debt. When I talked to Adam and Samson, they were of the opinion that at, at about 10 years from now, when the, when the issuance matures, um, they are going to be able to potentially pay off their entire sovereign uh, debt of the country through this issuance alone. And that's based on some really conservative numbers like Bitcoin only appreciating by 20 or 30% on an annualized basis when historically it's been about 100% annualized. So um, I think that's the thing that I'm probably most excited about with respect to the bond issuance is everything that, that Greg has said but I think the only thing it really needs to really kind of start getting people excited is a little bit of time sprinkled on top of it. And what you're going to find is because it was so demonstrative and so like out there compared to everything else that's being done. And this is very different than Michael Saylor's convertible debt issuance, in my opinion, especially from the sovereign piece of it. Um, and the fact that it's traded 24 seven because it's, it's being issued as a token uh, as a security over liquid. So uh, I think all those factors are just going to make people's uh, like, it's going to be impossible to ignore it in three to five years from now. And I think that's when the brilliance of it's really going to come out. Yeah. Um, Foss's friend, Hanky is always making noise, obviously. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he's been pointing out lately, the yields on, I guess, El Salvador's normal bonds have been rising. What's the explanation for that? I'll, I'll grab that one. It's as simple yeah. as this. Um, you know, they, they played the game of IMF rollover. They were, uh, they count on the IMF coming in and, uh, and uh, uh, providing backstop support for the uh, refunding of, of their issues. And if the IMF starts uh, calling them out and, uh, and, and questioning the, uh, the, the strategy, uh, because they don't agree with it, then the bond holders in the market are like, wow, well, I bought this because I was counting on the IMF support. And you, you, w one thing that Hanky does not understand is he breaks it down into spreads when it no longer becomes a spread game. It's a price game. And the bonds start trading on, our, on a yield, not to maturity, but on our yield to recovery, okay? And so then a, a five-year bond and a 10-year bond don't have that same maturity spectrum, it starts trading to a recovery rate. And this is what bugs me about Hanky so much. He has no clue how bonds actually trade, yet he puts these graphs up and starts talking all this drivel about, oh my God, their spreads have widened. Okay, Mr. Professor, first of all, you've never traded a bond in your whole life. And secondly, you don't even understand what bond spreads are. And you start quoting all this drivel um, very simply, it's now a question of, it, it doesn't become binary, guys, but it's it's much more um, not a yield to maturity play. It's like if the IMF leaves the square, it's, it's a two-year thing. And then it doesn't make a difference if you own a five-year bond or a 10-year bond, you're impacted by the same thing over a two-year time spectrum, you know? So- 
Greg, let's not you, look it, too it, much at the original bonds or the existing bonds. It was issued to old, stale, old money, and this is the new money that's coming into the into the square. Yeah, Greg, if, if you play it just on that today or what's happening today, Fed is saying they're tightening. And as a result of tightening, you're seeing a rollover and, and the US dollar is getting stronger because of that tightening. And, and people will move and stock markets will fail and they'll start cascading and you'll have a credit under unwind and people will race to US dollar and the US dollar will get stronger. As US dollar gets stronger, every other currency that has US debt gets weaker by that. And so that's what he's talking about. And that's that old money game. And it's, it's I, I think, in, in conjunction with you. And you just, you if you kept that up, you would tip the entire global market and they would all start to, to fail. And you have to come in with a massive liquidity. You're not just liquid, you're not just, you're not just bailing out the US market. You're bailing out the entire global market. And that's what people don't understand. Because, because if the US dollar keeps on rising, if you tried to, if you tried to, allow natural forces to happen everything fails to the ground there is no market the and thing it's 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 it demonstrated the last time they tried to taper emerging markets got crushed emerging markets get crushed it bleeds into the s p the s p starts trading down all my all of a sudden the citizens in the usa's pension funds now become riskier or more at risk and then the voters are like Mr. President, uh, you know, we're not going to reelect you because you know, our pensions are no longer safe. And then all of a sudden there's a little nudge like, you know, this whole thing tapering. Good try. Yeah. yeah, good try. It's so unbelievably impossible to taper and and anything right now. People still haven't done the math, particularly Goldman Sachs. And here's the rumor in the market. The <laughs> Fed is whispering into Goldman Sachs's ear. This is our plan. So Goldman comes out with, we predict the Fed is going to raise seven times over the next three years. And the market's like, oh, it's got to be true because it's Goldman Sachs. Come on, people, wake the fuck up. It's impossible for them to do this. It's their Fed's plan to do it. But Goldman doesn't believe that for a second either. It's just because the Fed is whispering into Goldman's ear, come on, tell the market, this is what you believe, but we're telling you this is what we're going to try to do. The gig is up. It's so funny because you know what? Right now, there's a little bit of weakness in the market. Breadth in stocks is horrible. Preston will know this. Like, you know, the big stocks, the FANG stocks are holding the index up. But you look at Jim Cramer's list of stocks that he recommended people to buy. It's off by over 60%. Jim, <laughs> why do you fucking good, buddy? Like, He's, you're fucking shitting the bed. And no one, no one will call that out until the Fed sees the, uh, you know, the big FANG stocks also falling, then they will say, oh, well, you know, this whole taper thing, uh, we couldn't do it before and we're, we're probably not going to be able to do it again. Yeah, Kramer is such a good example of just a, a fiat moron investment advisor. He can be wrong for two decades, but because he's up there on the TV flailing his arms and he's got fancy TVs behind him, he keeps his job. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but like, so where are we? You know, in, in we got the macro boys here, you know, you guys talk about this stuff all the time. You know, I know we're, we're in, a, in the rock, in between a rock and a hard place in some sense, you know, but where do you guys see things going from here? The, the irony with the hanky part is here he is talking about El Salvador with the spreads blowing out, but yet we have a 6.8% inflation print 
and a 10-year treasury that's at 1.46% here in the US, you have every pensioner on the planet sitting in equities that are that are bid to prices that probably are yielding 2% uh, in the equity market to trillions upon trillions of dollars, right? Um, and so, I mean, it's the ultimate elephant in the room moment where he could be talking about those types of things and talking about how uh, policies have, have forced us to these points in time and how systematically disastrous it's, it's going to be if, you know, uh, courageous academic leaders don't start stepping up and actually calling this what it is. And unfortunately, I don't know any that actually teach with a PhD that are calling this what it is, or just illuminating the obvious. Like how, how can we have a 6.8% inflation print for more than seven or eight months in a row with no end in sight? And we're still trying to pass trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar spending plans and all the yields are compressed down to nothing percent. And, and here in the US, we have some of the highest rates. You go over to Europe. I mean, they're literally at zero across the whole duration, yeah. like clear out to the 30 year. Um, here, I'll tell you, the 30 year is at a whopping 0.07%. 30 years over in Europe. So, I mean, where, where are these courageous leaders in academia that are stepping up and helping society learn? You got these idiots like Hanky that are too busy pointing at El Salvador, you know, and, and they're not talking about the, the bigger picture, the bigger macro picture. And you know darn well, they can see it. They can definitely see it, but they're not talking about it. Why are they not talking about it? They know who pays the bills. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they haven't started a business. They don't know how that works. People, the people that believe that um, when prices go up, you can just pass those prices on to consumers and everybody's going to pay those prices have never run a business and tried to try to sell to consumers and try to pass on that price increase. And that squeeze, and, and so people think, oh, it's these business owners that are getting killed because supply chains and everything else is getting because the money is being distorted and and politicians turn on those same business owners um because they're getting they think they're getting rich at the people's expense and and that transfer of money when you we've said it this with you guys a lot of times when you corrupt money you corrupt every single thing right in for everywhere because hmm. all money is 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 an abstract concept for our, our time. So and when Jeff, you, you, you think that the supply chain issues is because people can't perform economic calculation. Is that what I think I heard you say? Yeah. So, so every entrepreneur, every single entrepreneur is essentially making a bet of an economic calculation and, and what they're making a bet in the, in the future market that they are right and other people are wrong. And if they're right and they make that economic calculation properly, then then people use their service because people gain more value. And if they're wrong, they get wiped out. Fair? Yeah. And so that's what they're doing. And, and the force of that market, all of those experiments, that's what I, that's why, it, in fact, you know this, but that's why I wrote the book because you could see this, this whole movie is just a train wreck and it's going to get way worse. And why I wrote the us, and jet, them, us versus them chapter is that's a part of it. 
that because we turn against each other when that economic calculation is broken, because people gain power by blaming somebody else. And we need the person that is at fault instead of the system. But you could see this whole thing play out and it's really easy to see because that economic calculation today that an entrepreneur would make, I would make using technology today, I can see what I can deliver in, in tons of different industries that rip down other industries and do it for no labor. And the cost of that do, or way less labor and, and that work, that future producing that value uh, work, when it, when it works, people use it because it delivers them more value. And that must bring deflation at a greater and greater rate. And every single thing that tries to stop that can only stop that by concentrating power in very few hands. Mm. And so you're building the monopolies greater and you're preventing those monopolies from failing. You're building government greater because government has to take more of the free market away because a whole bunch of people, they're essentially the pensioners that just lost 15% of their money this year. Um, if you measure 81, 81 inter, uh, CPI, or the, uh, if you, uh, and, and the young people that are losing that, that money and they're running harder and harder, working harder and harder in a system that is designed to steal their time. And they're getting pissed. And, and they will rise up and they'll easily be manipulated against other people because of that. First, what they'll do is they'll bet on NFTs. They'll bet on a whole bunch. You turn a, 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 an economic calculation doesn't turn into an economic calculation around value. An economic calculation turns into a lottery ticket because people are trying to escape a system that is cruel. It's and that's completely unfair. That what you just said is such a common theme when a currency breaks down is you see the population throughout history, the population starts to become uh, very uh, gambling like with trying to trade and and buy these lottery tickets. Um, when, and, 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 and when they and then when they miss that lottery ticket or that lottery ticket becomes then they're more mad. Mm hmm. And they, and they can't pay their bills, their rents are going higher and higher, and they can't pay their bills. So who do they turn to? They turn to a new leader who will tell them the exact same thing. It's that person's fault. I'm going to print more money to be able to give you the money. I'm going to go take that, I'm going to go take that business that's giving value, and I'm going to, I'm going to break it up, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tax it a totally different rate to be able to give you, uh, give you more money. If you, if you look at what's happening in China right now, all of the all of their fang stocks are being government controlled it's a it's a natural progression you don't you either it moves that moves there and it moves there really fast at an exponential scale and you could whether you believe COVID or anything else or global warming, all of these things you must drive more power into the state mm. as a function of uh, of this broken system you must it's it's what greg says it's it's mathematical certainty and so, so that corruption or that, that drive away from the free market to be able to give us more value is, a, is the opposite end of the spectrum and it must get worse. Yeah. And through, through that lens, it's, it's literally everything. And then the problem is like, what's the name of the, te uh, the, uh, the senator or governor from um, uh, West Virginia, Mnuchin or Munchin? How do you say that? Is it 
the one that stood up and said to Biden, we're not, I'm not voting on your, on your tax plan. The, the funny thing is his rationale was solid that he was worried that it would uh, uh, harm the ability of the US to fund uh, and raise money in the future, which is basically a way of saying, look, I'm concerned about our debt burden. Now, the funny thing is he's worried about two trillion, which used to be a lot of money, okay? But two trillion in the context of a US budget funded, which is about 29 trillion, or deficit rather, and unfunded, which is another 160 trillion dollars, Medicaid and Medicare, you're talking 200 trillion dollars. And this Mnuchin gives a valiant effort to try and say, come on, stop you guys. Now, the funny thing is, it's not going to make a difference. It's like, as, as Jeff says, you never know which snowflake causes the avalanche, but he's at least trying to stop the snowflakes, right? Then you get political uh, commentators like our friend Joe Weisenthal that says, why are you concerned about the deficit? Like, have you, has he still not clued in? Like, honest to God, is Joe Weisenthal that brain dead that He's he hasn't worst. clued in that, yes, it does make a difference, okay? What is $200 trillion in Bitcoin, guys? It's 5 billion Bitcoin. To put that in context as how large that deficit is, 5 billion Bitcoin is what 200 trillion dollars is that's only the usa it's so far over it's not funny and these guys at least are trying to do the right thing and then they got shot down by their own party oh he's not being loyal i have coal miners in west virginia that are like you know supporting me we got to do this we got to do this and this is the political reality that you're living within a four-year term to try and solve a 400 well 200 year problem you know Hey, Jeff, we have the same problems with some of our politicians in Canada. They're trying to do valiant efforts. And sometimes you almost, I'm, I'm a guy that tries to break down problems into the, into the biggest, you know, extremes. The reality is right now, why pay taxes? Really? Because there's no use. It is over no matter what, whether we actually try and collect taxes or not, because mathematically, the debt spiral is expanding too fast for your tax base. So we know it's over. Why doesn't the government just say, well, guess what? I'm going to get elected next year by not taxing anybody. It's not that stupid. That's the extreme. I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying when numbers get this big, the law of big numbers, these are really, really, really impossible problems to solve. And 200 trillion US dollars is what the population is counting on. I bet the USA doesn't even deliver, maybe they'll deliver 20 or one-tenth of that. The, so they understand their intuition is serving them well. They understand the problem. They understand that the, the trajectory that they're going on is going to cause a systematic failure. The problem that they have is they don't know how to solve it, just like nearly everybody on the planet right now doesn't know how to solve it. If they were presenting these bills and saying, hey, we're going to spend another trillion and we're going to take 10% of it and we're going to buy Bitcoin with it and stuff it into the treasury never to come out again, uh, spend away, right? Now, there's a little bit of a concern if you're getting the, into things that revolve around uh, CapEx that's going to be this burden that's going to be there forever. That's obviously a concern. But is, if it was service spending that's a one-time spend or whatever and you're dropping 10% of that into Bitcoin, we'll have at it. 
but you have to understand what's going to solve all of this, like how we're going to come out of this on the other side. And I think we are just so far, even, even though the price is at 50,000 or whatever it is right now, right? We are still so far to the left of the curve of adoption that this isn't even viewed as a probable like outcome of like how this thing's going to resolve itself. But rest yep. assured, it's going to become much more obvious. I think as, as we start pushing into the hundreds of thousands on the price of Bitcoin, it's going to start becoming like, hold on a second, what is this? And then I think once you get to a million, then it's going to be like, oh my God, and it's going to be a total free for all. Everybody, everybody strap in because everyone and their kid sister is going to have to own this thing. So Preston, I, in, in just a, a salient point that makes that, and, I, and, and, and sometimes you're surprised, you guys go on a whole bunch of podcasts and you go on a bunch of podcasts donating your time effectively to be able to teach other people that this is really important. And sometimes I forget uh, how, uh, how much I take for granted in knowing this and you think everybody else knows it. Yeah. So, um, and, and when you realize, and so a lot of times you have to say the same thing over and over and over again, but you got to start in a place where people can walk through and find it themselves. Because if you start from your knowledge base, then then it's too hard to be able to digest. It's too far away and people lock into their old former, for, former pattern. But what I'll say in some of that, and Greg does this too, I know you, we, I say yes to a bunch of these smaller podcasts sometimes. And one of these smaller podcasts uh, had 3000 visits um, to this podcast uh, two weeks ago, 10 days ago. Right now has 380,000 view, view, views on it. And what, 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 what's happening is, is more and more people are waking up to this story. And when they see content, and that content might be a year ago, that might content might be three years ago, that might content might be this year. When they see content that opens their eyes to say, just wait, this is a system problem. And everybody's pretending they can solve it from the system and that it's unsolvable from the system. Mm -hmm. Then they start to learn more and say, Maybe this Bitcoin thing isn't so crazy. Maybe these people aren't tinfoil hats trying to rip down the world. Maybe they're trying to build a better world and they're trying to, and, and they start to be uh, open to that. And so when I look at the comments and thousands of comments on some of these, some of these older podcasts, I think, wow, a lot of people are waking up and they're just waking up just now. So what Preston, I just wanted to reinforce what Preston says is we are so early in this so. process, so early. Um, and, and, and we think, we think when we see when I see these comments and when I spoke at the, the central bank in Austria, um, I can tell you all of the people, the central bankers, they don't know what we know. They don't know that Bitcoin is, is a bridge to the other side. They actually believe, and, and I guess if you didn't know how fast technology was moving and the entire world is living on top of technology today, it's the rails, and you're using a, 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 a worldview that is using spears to be able to build economies and you can manage that, then you're probably going to miss what happens on top of, and you're probably going to miss the whole, the whole move, just like, just like companies get eradicated, they die because they miss a technology change. That's what's happening. 
And, and so you? it's mostly not bad people. It's mostly people that are just, imp- they're so far in the weeds on the old system that they can't see it. You know how I, Jeff Bezos felt in the 1990s now. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I hear, I hear you, <laughs> Jeff. And I think, I think, I, I know what you're saying. And in a period like the last two years, you know, conspiracy abounds about all the fuckery that's going on and who knows what the truth of the matter is. But I, I, I also don't want to always let people off the hook. And I don't mean like in confronting them because that's often not helpful, but if we're characterizing them, like I do think there's a pandemic of cowardice throughout society, basically, generally speaking. Like why doesn't a politician, like you, you, you saw Jen Psaki doing her press briefing, right? And she was doing what you were talking about. She was saying, well, why are meat prices up? Oh, it's those greedy meat suppliers. Look, I'm sure the meat industry has problems, consolidation, you know, a lot of people, a lot of independent producers have issues with the big guys, right? But by and large, the reason why you've seen a 50% increase this year versus 5% increases for the last 10, for example, ain't because they got especially greedy this year, right? It's because- Can I I just jump on, uh, can I just jump on this first? Because I think it's a critical issue. There There are a lot of people that would look at my work and they would think, Wow, this guy's just totally blind to all of these because there are some really bad people in this uh, too in the system. But just there's probably bad people in the Bitcoin system too. There's good um, and or or people that might not share my opinions on how uh, how this uh, how how this looks. But when you have a system like this, you will have you will have fraud and you'll have more corruption built in the system. You have people racing in it or being silent from it, and you hate that, and I hate that. What, but, but don't mistake um, a strategy to make sure more people understand this mm-hmm. from, uh, from fighting a system. Because what ends up happening when, when people are marching on the street right now, what they're actually doing is empowering the system. Because what the system will do when people break windows and break, what the system will do is hire more police. And the, and 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 a new ele- new leader will get elected to say, "Yeah, you're right. It's that person's fault. We're going to take it back." And you will consolidate way more power. And we are so easily manipulated. Mm. And so when I when I try to when I try to talk when I try to talk on these podcasts and everything else, I realize how easily manipulated people are. And I try to be even, so that they can't use that to drive that manipulation and gain power. And what that does is it brings a whole bunch more people. When people see that the only way to solve their own problem is to move to the other side, they start solving that problem. Like if you look at the people marching on the streets, if every one of them just bought Bitcoin, it'd be over tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And I strategically, I I think that's a a very good strategy. I, I, I was just like, I guess lamenting the fact that there's so much, there's so much lack of courage to speak the truth, or what at least the the greatest approximation that you might know of it. Uh, that, and you would think, oh, well, it's harmless, right? If someone's a coward, well, depends what kind of position you're in. Like the the stuff that that Jen is up there saying, how much in how much is that going to incite people that already feel they're being disenfranchised, and and the capitalist system is the the cause for all their ills. How much more is it going to incite them to, to, as you were saying, give power, even more power to that centralized authority 
to fix these problems. And then you continue on that downward spiral, you know? And so most, most people either do that or they hide in the shadows. And I think that's what you're talking about. And they hide in the shadows. And, and when I wrote my, my well, book, I'm, I'm more I, talking about the, the, the former, the oh, one I know, I know you're, you're, front, you're talking about the upfront trying to turn people against, yeah. against people. Yeah. And, and, uh, and all I care about is getting more people on the bridge and building the bridge to the other side. That's a, yeah. that is a number, number one thing, but, you, Preston, Greg, this entire community, it's actually what I love about this community. These people are willing to stand, stand up, put their careers or anything else on the line. What they don't actually realize is actually it's making their careers as well mm. by, by, uh, by doing it. Well, that's because a you're beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but uh, but they're, um, they're speaking the truth rather than hiding in the shadows. Yeah. Did you, did, amen, did you guys see um, your boy Polyev up on the floor a few days ago, giving a big, long Robert Breedlove-esque um, <laughs> speech about money? <laughs> did you guys see that? Yeah. How much of a hand did you guys have in that one? Are you guys sitting him down and, or having these Zoom calls with him on, on the regular or give me, give me the inside scoop? Nobody's listening. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, let's, let's just say, you you touch a lot more people than you know you touch preston touches a lot as, as many people as you think you touch through through the your recordings you touch a whole bunch more people and you open eyes and it and something tweaks that then that then they start looking more and more and more mm -hmm. um my book did that in a lot of different people pierre and i became friends craig and pierre became friends he because he was desperate same thing that i went through how do you solve this i can't find a solve and i know what all the g7 is going to do to to bitcoin they're, they're going to come after it they're going to make it with all the fud i know how bad this is going to get and and for a long time he was talking about half of the problem without how do you solve it and and now he's coming around to I understand how to solve it. And, and one of the conversations that we had was exactly what the conversation that we just had. If you're either, if, if you know this, if you know everything that we're talking about and you know how the government is going to come after this and you don't lead, then is that a lead? Is that a leader that would anybody would want to follow? Right. You know, you, you know this. So, so what risk, what risk is telling, telling the truth? Um, and it's not a risk. It's actually what people long for and everything. So um, he, he'll come out in, in his own way and how that, how that works. He has, he has to be care he, he does have to be careful on it and what that looks like. And it's a mm -hmm. path. But, but I would say he's, he's making the journey down the rabbit hole like we all did. Right. I think I did just, give wa just wants him to say that. a word. <laughs> Well, Jeff, Jeff was traveling, but I did give a presentation to 45 members of parliament. That's no secret. They were concentrated all in one party. That's no secret. But uh, let's just say that people are doing the work and the questions were surprisingly and encouragingly uh, informed. Okay, so uh, it gives me confidence. And, and I want to relate. So we talked about education and the different levels of education. And Preston, how, how, you know, sometimes you don't realize where you're touching, right? I recently got a, uh, 
a text message from a hedge fund guy that I used to trade against who's following me on Twitter that I didn't even realize. And he's like, dude, you're, you're, you're hilarious, but you're, you're giving information that goes over 90% of people's heads, but then it hits the 10% who are following you. They don't hit the like button because they, you know, either they're, they, they don't want to endorse you or they don't want to, uh, tell their superior that they're on social media and, and, and watching stuff, but it's funny, the educational process. So, you know, we talk about dumbing it down a lot, or I don't, sorry to use that word, like bringing it down to the common man, but then, you know, uh, Seb Bunny, a, a young Australian that lives in Whistler that uh, I've come to uh, know uh, in the Bitcoin square, he and I wrote an article for Bitcoin magazine that was pretty technical. It was about optionality. And we talked about the different Greeks of, big, of, of option pricing, the gammas, deltas, thetas, rho, all this. And it's been really well received. And I've gotten feedback from hedge fund guys, like, man, this is next level stuff. This is something I can take to my investment policy committee. And that's good too, right, guys? Because you get the people that want to learn and they have money to invest, but the big money, the money that's going to change Canada is managed by people who go through the traditional lines of allocating an asset uh, plan that takes years to craft. They have to research it. They, they don't do it like an individual investor can do. So the level of education is so important. And this is where I'm going to summarize. The level of intelligence and competence coming into the Bitcoin community blows me away. This young kid, Jason Lowry, we've talked about him. He's just next level, like just so smart. Now, some people think he's a, uh, what's the word? They think he's a, a spook or something spook like that, or, or something. A, a plant. But even if he is, we need him because the guy is thinking in, in levels of, of, of uh, uh, absolute brilliance. But then there, here's a, a small story. I was in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and I met up with a Bitcoin miner who used to be the chief technology officer of Gateway Computer. Preston, you guys remember Gateway? It was the cows. You remember the cow? Yes. The cow. So this guy, (laughs) and I'm like, dude, how in the world did Bitcoin get you over? And he's like, you just do the research and then you realize the beauty of this whole thing. So look, the Lindy effect is in full force, but it's also in full force with the level of uh, as the intelligence of the community as a whole grows. And it's not always people that will endorse you. It's people that are following you off the corner of their desk. They know implicitly. So you have the common man that says, there's got to be something wrong with the government giving me money, right? They know that it feels good, but they know there's something implicitly wrong with that because you're pulling forward stuff at the expense of your kids. But then there's the big money that also know the situation. I've gotten guys that work at banks and they go, it is so over. Right, Preston? It's so over. I want to talk about the big money because I think this is a really important point, especially when you start talking about policy. So when you look at the buying power today and where it resides, it resides in the hands of people like Greg whenever he was managing these massive bond uh, funds and uh, tranches for banks. It sits on the, on the balance sheet of all of these corporations. When you think about the, the buying power of their retained earnings and all the marketable securities that so many of these businesses have on their balance sheets that they just can't invest operationally 
They invest it non-operationally, and so they're going out and they're buying Apple stock and they're sticking it on their balance sheet. Um, when you think of that buying power compared to retail, I think that you're talking about just two totally different universes of quantities that you're that you're looking at in, in with respect to the buying power that's out there that could be allocated into Bitcoin. Most people, they're in debt up to their eyeballs. Like they've got a pittance to allocate. Um, I'm sorry, they're just not moving. They're not going to move the needle on Bitcoin really all that much. Like when we're talking about going from where we're at now at 50,000 to 500,000 or a million, right? The thing that's going to drive it to these crazy levels is when you have these people that manage these few people, because we're not talking about a lot of people here relative to the buying power that's associated with what these gatekeepers actually control, whether they're a gatekeeper on a, on a board of a, of a company allocating marketable securities or they're managing bonds. Um, but rest assured, there's a lot of buying power there. And as they wise up to what this is, and the problems that are there and the problems that are not going to be solved with more of these types of policies and the smarter that they get and the more that they're looking at like, Hey, this, these tulips just don't seem to die. Why, <laughs> why is that? Right. Why do these tulips not die? Why do they keep going through these big giant parabolic jumps? When I'm looking at them in linear terms, it just looks like a bubble, but Oh my God, hold on a second. I just looked at it in log terms and this, literally looks like Metcalf's law playing out on a price chart that I've never seen in my entire life. What the hell is this? Right? I think you're, I think you're starting to get to that point where some of these, and I'm calling them gatekeepers just because there's not a lot of them and they control the entire planet's buying power on these balance sheets and in these banks. And people in our community don't like to hear this but unfortunately, it's just the math. And the thing that's going to really take it there is when a lot of them start to wake up and a lot of them start to get the thumbs up from, from a distributed governance structure that is in place for a reason so that they can't go out and do anything too risky. And, and what I mean by too risky is let's not rock the boat too much by making a bold decision. Let's just make a decision that keeps us kind of going in the right direction so I can keep going out to the country club every day and show up to my board meeting four times a week and collect my quarter of a million dollars, right? Because that's really kind of the, the calculus that a lot of these people are doing is they've got these amazing gigs that don't require a whole lot of time. And um, they're the ones that are really kind of providing the strategic guidance to how that treasury can be invested on these court on these corporate boards or on, you know, at the banks that are managing these massive bond tranches, massive. Um, and so it's going to be hard for these people managing these massive bond tranches when five years from now or three years from now, they're looking at this, this tiny little issuance down in El Salvador for a billion dollars that has outperformed literally every single issuance on the planet. And not by a little bit, but like by a landslide. And they're going to be like, what the hell is this? And why is Chile now doing this? Or why is you name it country now doing something exactly like the, the copy paste of that move? Just like they're going to be doing it the same copy paste move as Michael Saylor's treasury at MicroStrategy. And, and, and just building on that, it's a repricing of everything. Yeah. It's a, it, it, and, and that repricing, if they do nothing 
they won't let use a pension fund. You could, if you want to stay at 1% yield or half a percent yield, well, interest rates are real interest rates are probably closer to 14%, then you won't be able to pay out your liabilities on your pension. Um, And, and, and it's, it's forcing those pension funds to look elsewhere, but that repricing, everything is being repriced. Um, and it's and that repricing is going to take time. But what people don't, and that's what's happening in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is repricing it, and that's why you can see everything falling in price forever against Bitcoin. But you can't oh. see it through the existing system. And the good thing is, it comes from the bottom down to uh, the the bottom up and the top down too, right, Preston? Because you know, yeah. guys like blue collar Bitcoin, those cool kids from uh, the the area of Chicago, uh, first responders, love them, love them. Yeah, and they're yeah. pushing hard from well. You know, they're pushing from the bottom up and the reality do some quick, it's called theory of agents. Okay. Those are the guys that are the pension allocators. And this is the way it works in Canada. There's only about 40 big asset managers that mat that matter in all of Canada. And let's just say there's six people on their, on their board, on their committee, that's 250 people. They all know each other. You talked about them going to the country club. All it takes is one call it, let's say, Ontario teachers that breaks the that breaks from the pack and starts putting 1% allocation in this new asset class. And their performance, and because I know what happens all the time, the case they poised last month's Quebec, the big one in Quebec, will compare themselves to the performance of Ontario teachers. And all of a sudden, they're trailing teachers. And they're like, how are they doing this? And it becomes more and more accepted. And I saw this happen in the high yield bond asset class in Canada which was literally 20 years behind the high yield bond asset class in the USA. But now everybody in Canada has a silo for high yield bonds. It happens slowly, but it's when one person breaks the pack and it's going to happen in the USA before it happens in Canada. Although I would love Canada to be a leader on this front and you push hard enough. Sometimes they break the mold, you know, and it happens as well when, over time, the Charlie Mungers of the world leave the investment policy committee and go uh, and, and say, we're going to do it differently. And the new it's replaced with new blood. So I see that Jeff has to go in about 10 minutes. I'm going to stop talking because we want to hear from him. But uh, no, 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 no. I just say, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, on, but yeah, but this is key. It's going to happen, Preston, because they all compare themselves. They navel gaze, right? They're like, everything's fine as long as no one breaks the mold. And then someone breaks the mold and they're like, oh boy, I better get on board or I'm going to lose my credibility in this whole. And pension fund accounting and actuarial accounting and pensions is so disturbingly bad as well that it's just the bottom up guys are going to win the day because the top down guys don't want to break the mold. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's so, going to become so much a thing, regardless of domain, right? If you're a big uh, asset manager, if you're a mayor of a city, Hit your car to Bitcoin, you're probably going to win. You know, like it, it's so funny to see these mayors pop up. I mean, Suarez isn't a small mayor, but like you've got Conger in, in Jackson, Tennessee, and another one in the Northwest somewhere recently. And all they do is like tweet, like, I like Bitcoin. And then everyone's like, oh my God, look at this. Like, this is so cool. Like, good for you. And, and you know, if you're a, a politician, you like attention, right? You like to please the crowd and all that kind of stuff. And, and then if you decide, oh, we'll, we'll give our employees the option of a payout in Bitcoin, or we'll put some on the balance sheet, or we'll uh, subsidize mining operations, or whatever, and it ends up being a really, really good move, you know, it's a, just another example of like, well, if you're 
in a pickle or if you're looking to do well by your constituents, your investors, what have you, which we're in this era now, we're like, buy and Bitcoin game, and, yep. and you'll win. Yeah. And game, it's that game, easy. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky skating to where the puck is going to be. Um, and, and so how you lead is to skate where the puck is going to be. Yeah. And, that, um, and, and, and that's what people are starting to realize. And it just ignites game theory. Mm. And so you have game theory moving to where, where humans for all of our life to get to this point had competed with each other. And we competed with each other at, to a certain point to, to make our war bigger than somebody else's to, to, because if we didn't win that, um, somebody could t- uh, take over us. And that's the way human history has always looked. And, why, and, and kind of inside inflationary money in, or in a monetary standard that would allow it to essentially prey on us because we'll always vote for more than we can get. Hmm. We will, like the voters will always ch- choose the politician who tells them that uh, they can give you more, not yeah. realizing that that per- same politician is picking their pocket more. And that, the devil. and that system, that system, that system must keep ex- expanding. And why you have these currency failures um, throughout history is because the system must keep expanding once it gets away on itself. And what ends up happening to capitalism itself, the free market itself, is you encode corruption in it. And once you encode corruption in it, so if you look at 2008, what happened is, is every single person that's sitting around the table what Greg would say is nodding and saying, we're going to fund this and we're going to fund this. They all know that they have a one-way bet that if they, if they lose the bet, they still stay, they still stay in because, because, because the losses have to be socialized by society because because people will vote not to let the system come down and and cascade. Mm. And that gets away on itself and get, and so you have more and more corruption building in and everybody's racing in to that corruption and, and, and everything looks like that through, that through that lens because you have a fraud at the base of your currency. Um, but it's, it's out of a long cascade of, of choices that we make and we won't deal, and we, and as voters, we, just, we will always vote the person who will lie to us on that. And so, so you have game theory moving to truth and you have game theory then the, in that competition, whether you like Bitcoin, don't like Bitcoin, it's going to make your life better through that competition because it's going to bring down prices everywhere and say, and save your time, whether you, you could hate it and you yeah. won't get, gain as much as somebody who, who is in early, but it will still help you. It's like, it's like, does the strongest incentive come from a lie or the truth? And formerly it was, a lie, right? That, that a lie could generate the strongest incentive. Sure, I'll give you a million dollars. Sure, right? And people follow that because no one else is going to give them a million bucks. But now we have this thing that's just propagating truth and aligning incentives, such that the, as you said, the truth is becoming the more po- the more powerful incentive. You know, that's I mean that completely uh, restructures society, and you know, we we call it like repricing and revaluing and all this stuff, but it's. It's operating on a far different or a far more more broad level, right? It's, it's, it's so reorienting much a lot it, of stuff. It, it, it's so much bigger than the money. 
in your mm-hmm. your recent post that you you talk about it's it, it, and and a lot of bitcoiners that kind of when you're deep on and understanding this and you realize how people make decisions and we have the angel and the devil and we could go tw- tip to either side and all of us uh, and all, all of us could and it's the incentive structure of the world that determines mostly what that looks like and if you have an incentive sure structure it, yeah. exa- uh, and if you have an ins- and so there's outliers on both sides mm. there's outliers that no matter what incentive st- structure they will stand up for right, what's right, what's right a lot in bitcoin community are those outliers but in typical history those outliers are shot mm. right and 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 they don't get because there's not enough of them to change to change this, the system and so you you have the uh, and, and this this alignment and and against this system that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger um, with more and more people talking about it and jo- joining and understanding it and then those people realizing it's not just money it's mm. so much more and going down the rabbit hole is a really exciting t- time and if you just think about how much innovation will come on top of that system yeah and the hope and every and and what that looks like like i want all my kids reading about the lightning network and understanding uh, understanding what's going on here because that's where all the jobs are going to be yeah and you know even though you're right i think like bitcoiners generally taken as a demographic nice i gotta get that i gotta get that (laughs) this is Um, awesome by the way yeah i bet uh taken as a demo they probably are more disagreeable than like your average uh population sample right but even so, if, if the incentives are so much enticing out the, the side of you that makes you compromise, let's say, then even highly disagreeable people will eventually succumb to it because it's, it's the signal you're constantly getting. Like, come on, just compromise on those principles. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We'll give you this. Whereas now, I think because of what Bitcoin represents, it's emboldening so many people to say, oh, no, I like... Now the other side is, is, is being enticed and I'm, I'm more capable of expressing it or leaning into the aspect of me that is more or behavior that's more in line with the principles that I've always wanted to express, but have been somewhat, I've had to compromise on or have been somewhat subdued because of the incentive structure that I was nestled within, you know, and what happens then when you get all these people coming more alive, quote unquote, by being emboldened to express higher principles you know things that they they hold in higher esteem and and things that things that they want to uh principles they want to see more of in the world through their own actions you know that's that's tremendously transformative on a you know when it occurs on a global scale and all just because you change that little thing that's the money yeah it's it's wild wild um Jeff, do you have to to bounce? Should we? I, I do, but I want to hear one or two th- more things from Preston <laughs> or Greg, and then I'll I'll, I'll just jump. Well, over. what, what yeah. I was the other thing I was going to ask is like, it's it's just we live in such a clown world because of the kind of crumbling fiat system, right? And there's just every day you're bombarded with just unbelievably insane headlines and examples of how how absurd things have become, and. Uh, you know, and you guys don't seem to deal in that as much as some of the, you know, the Bitcoiners that like to say the end is nigh sort of thing. And, and I can certainly, I can appreciate both perspectives, but, you know, we're starting a new year in a few days here. Like, where do you guys think, so Bitcoin is propagating out and people are adopting it and people are starting to slowly wake up, but the, 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 the crumbling system is 
really accelerating in the crumbling aspect of things. Where do you guys see things going next year? Like, do you think we can have this nice, slow, orderly unwind or do things get weird? We, we can. Um, Will we? As far, I guess as, is a as, far as probabilities go, I think that, uh, I mean, you're going to get to a tipping point. And I think that once, once it starts to become obvious that this thing's taking off, I think it's going to take off in, in a very accelerated way, just because that's, that's how it's always happened. And I think most people are very sheep-like and don't ha have a lot of critical thinking when it comes to maybe this niche thing in their life. They're, they have a specialty in maybe they're a doctor, maybe they're a whatever. So like that's their expertise. But they, they, they do have this sense that when the, when the crowd is running, that they better hop on board and own whatever, right? And so that's what causes these things to really kind of take off. Now, whenever I look at this coming 12 months to 18 months, like what's that going to look like? I personally think, and I'd be curious to hear what Jeff and Greg think, but I, when I'm looking at the bond yield curve and I'm looking at the, the rate of the sell-off in the uh, shorter duration bonds, you're actually seeing a little bit of bidding uh, on the 30-year here in the U.S. Over in Europe, it's completely just obliterated down to 0% and staying there. I think you're going to see the market probably throw a fit. Uh, and when I say that, I'm saying it's going to be a liquidity shock, impairment shock of, of the credit in the system. I would suspect you're going to see that probably in 12 to 18 months from right now that you're going to see the market throw a fit. If and when it throws a fit, the only action that they're going to have to central bankers to, to kind of respond to this is they're going to have to compress yields even lower by stepping into the market and buying bonds. They're also going to have to get more aggressive with their UBI. Um, so like here in the United States, they're sending checks to people instead of getting their uh, child uh, credit at the end of the year. They're just making these, these four or $500 payments to people here in the States every single month. That's a form of UBI. They're talking about doing away with the, or, or completely pausing uh, college payments and things like that. So you're going to have this dual uh, situation where they're, do, they're doing UBI, they're doubling down on UBI, and they're probably quadrupling down on QE. And what I think you're going to start to see is it's going to be yield curve control across the whole duration of the bond yield curve, where they're going to say, hey, the 30-year bond, it's now pegged at 1%. It's, it cannot sell off beyond 1%. Um, the the five-year right? It's pegged at 20 basis points. And they're just going to keep these, these yields pegged at those, at those yields. Today, right now, the only thing that you're seeing them actually manipulate uh, is really the federal funds rate. They're not manipulating the longer duration uh, issuance and mid-duration issuance. But I think on this next round, when the market does throw a fit and they're going to have to come in and try to stabilize that, they're going to get very aggressive with the, with the policies. This is going to probably result in numbers that make, you know, I want to say that the COVID, I mean, they're still debasing uh, from COVID, but the, the initial push was like a 5 trillion global, 6 trillion global uh, insertion into the market. For me, I, I could see that number being double, at least double um, on this next round, maybe even triple, who, who knows, right? But they're going to have some type of calculation as to the impairment and the rate of that impairment, which I think is even going to be faster um, that, that it's going to start selling off and, and getting crazy. Right. So they're going to have to step in and do all these, these 
things that uh, that appeared like they were COVID related, right? And then they're going to see them happen, and it's not going to necessarily be so COVID related. You're also going to have the market look at how much inflation we got off of the last action, right? Well, the last action, everyone in their head is going to say, well, heck, that gave us 6% inflation when they did this amount. And now they just did double or triple that. Does that mean we're going to like 12% inflation and yields are now at 0% across the whole duration of the bond yield curve? I think this is what the next throwing of a fit in the, in the global economy is going to look like. And I think this is going to be the point where it's extremely difficult for anybody on Wall Street, anybody managing a billion-dollar bond tranche, anybody managing a corporate treasury of marketable securities that are compressed down to 2% across, the, across all you know, types of equities. They're going to be looking at this and saying, all right, so there is something seriously wrong here, right? Like this thing is totally jacked. And we might be at six or 7% right now, but they just printed another $10 trillion and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. Now they're mailing the thousand dollar checks to people instead of $500 checks to people like what the hell's happening. Right. And I think that's when it really starts to come. The glue starts to come off the ball of, of what's taking place. And so when people were talking about a million dollar Bitcoin valuation or whatever, these crazy numbers that somebody who's looking at this from the outside says, there's no way, right? I don't see us getting to these crazy numbers because of stock to flow. Like stock to flow is this systematic thing that might take us there based on the mathematics or whatever and the scarcity and whatever. But I think the thing that's really going to take us there, is this going to be this, this realization in the marketplace especially for people that are in traditional finance that say we're in crazy town. Like we see we're in crazy town today. They're going to see that we're in crazy town. I think on, on the next uh, throwing of a fit in the, in the response that pops out of that, because everything I just described is where I see this going next. And I see that potentially happening, you know, within two years. Yeah. And Preston, again, nothing has changed. Nothing. From when, when we talked about this first time I was on your podcast or John, when we talked about this first time on your podcast or from it, nothing has changed, it's accelerating and it's getting worse. It, what, 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 it won't be 12 months. It'll be faster than that. It might be six months. It might be three months. There will be, if you remove, if, if you tighten into this market, the yeah, thing's gonna the, the the thing is going to unwind with severity and it's and, and if that starts really unwinding now imagine you're on the wrong side of that trade let's say you um and, um you're going to get wiped out on one side and then you're going to be so scared on the other side as they inject money because you're you have counterparty risk everywhere in the system as they inject money you're going to get wiped out on the other side and it's going to take the population the problem isn't the money we're talking about the money the problem is what will people do when this happens yeah. yeah and what they will do is they will lean into the state to give it more power and 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 what what we what why in my ypo forum or a whole bunch of people around me that somebody said that recently said when jeff implores you you might want to listen <laughs> um he oh. does he, he he he's really even and everything else and when he's <laughs> when he's done the work on something like this you might want to listen 
Um, and, 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 and I implore people to get off zero. <laughs> I implore for your own safety for it. So you can see what's happening. It is critical that you get off zero and start understanding what this, this is, because next I, suspe I suspect most people don't know what, the, what, what this means. The next crisis will happen faster. It'll be more severe. Each successive crisis happens quicker. The VIX it, uh, explodes. The sell-off in markets are faster. The response by the Fed is also faster. The problem is, what if the Fed put, that proverbial Fed put, doesn't work? Because there will be a time when the Fed put doesn't work. And this is what exactly. we talked about in the Bitcoin article uh, Jeff, I know you have to go listen in the Bitcoin options article. The Bitcoin is perfect option. Bitcoin is a put on the Fed put. Okay. It's so beautiful. It gives you protection against the Fed put not rescuing the system because there will be a time. I hope it's not the next one because when it happens, then the world has lost control. We need protection on the failure of the Fed put. That's Bitcoin. Jeff, have a great time. Remember this. It's only math. <laughs> okay. okay. One, thing, one thing before I go, I love you guys. Have a super Christmas. Can't wait to see you at Bitcoin 22. Love and you El Salvador too, too right? El Salvador too. El Salvador too. Go. I think that would be a really, really cool, cool time. So happy holidays to you and your family, brother. Okay. See you, bud. See, see you, Jeff. See you guys. Um, yeah, the thing, you know, the thing that's so troubling about all this, like we throw around numbers like, oh, next time it's going to be 10 trillion and not five. But like, Every time I see that behavior, all I think about, and you know, Jeff talks about this quite a lot, is just how it tears society apart, right? Either through inflation, through the wealth gap, through, you know, through the destruction of capital that goes on through this type of allocation. And I guess I get the question I keep coming back to is like, what are the limits of that? You know, what, what we've been talking about, like people, you know, the pitchforks come out on the next uh, hissy fit of of a thing, and like. When does that, I, when, how, I think when the, can you stop kicking the can down the road, I guess? I, I think the limits are really kind of that dichotomy that I'm talking about as far as the inflation prints, which are induced by supply chain breakdowns because people can't do economic calculation anymore and you can't print supply chains and you can't print your way out of something that is this physical reality that's demonstrating even at the most core fundamental uh, commodities that you're stepping into the market and really kind of manipulating with policy, even those are, are are displaying these inflationary prints because of the number of units that are being added into the system. And when you look at those numbers and you compare it to the interest rates of the quote unquote free and open fixed income market, the larger that that spread gets and the longer that it persists, the the more that uh, all your market participants are starting to come around and saying, hold on a second, this thing is broke beyond repair. I'm already there. Like I'm looking at the, at the, at the gap today and I'm saying, where, where, where's the critical thinkers? Where are these, these brilliant financiers and how the hell are they not talking about this? Like on every single second of CNBC, right? Know. And not a one of them, right? And and I think the reason that you don't see that is because so many of the people going on CNBC or hedge fund whoever, and they're talking about selling ape pictures, ape JPEGs, for a half a million dollars. Like, mm. like that's how twisted and warped everything has become. 
is you have people that are probably going into AI engines and dropping an eight picture and saying, hey, put a clown nose on this one, put a put a spinny cap on this one and put a whatever on this one. And then they're just extracting these JPEGs out of this thing and dropping them on the Ethereum. And people are, that's how insane and corrupted the the units are of the of the currency in the system. And so you're you're there, you're just not to the point where it's so obvious that you can't unsee it for people that aren't familiar with finance. But yeah. I think I I suspect that on this next go around, you're gonna start getting there. You know, you Preston, you've talked about the inflation, the the uh, reported inflation six point six and change, you know. Uh, and Jeff made mention that if you mentioned, he, he said 14%, because that's if you measured it using the original formula oh, yeah. from the 1980 CPI index, it is over 15% now, which is your year over year inflation. And people feel that. And incidentally, that sort of approaches the growth of the money supply. Interesting how that works, isn't it? But look, at the end of the day, um, there are people that get the math. There's entire teams of investment professionals whose jobs are over if they actually tell the truth though right yeah. the bond fund manager that tells the truth that your real your real return is so far negative that there's no use owning bonds all of a sudden doesn't collect management fees on a bond portfolio because no one wants them you know what i mean so it's so dangerous like you the people that have to tell the truth by the way there's no question that Jim Cramer, in my opinion, got a tap on the shoulder by his producers and said, Jim, you're going to have to stop, start talking down Bitcoin now. We don't want you to support it anyway, because he's the brand name behind the uh, NBC, uh, you know, uh, marketing machine. Uh, and by the way, the Biden government wants uh, to not focus on inflation, not focus on Bitcoin. The, we've seen these narratives before. The smart money eventually comes around. The truth is, though, and this is important, that it, 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 it can also be an uprising from below. People who have exposure, we mentioned this, in bonds, in their pension funds, need to start doing the math and realizing that their pension funds may not, in fact, be funded. The actuarial accounting of a funded pension plan could be flawed. I'm telling you, I think it is. What was Cowper's response? Well, we're going to use leverage to enhance our returns. <laughs> well, what could possibly go wrong there, right? Like, I mean, it's just insanity. Yet people pretend that we can continue using the same traditional uh, instruments. It'll change my hope. And I think you guys are, I'm, I'm actually pretty scared that both you and, uh, and Jeff think that it's within the next 12 months that we have this, uh, you know, this next reckoning. I think it'll be longer. You know, look what's happening in Turkey. That's a horrible situation. My heart goes out to all the citizens of Turkey. You guys in the USA need to understand that you're in good shape relative to Canada. Um, we're going to be the first one in the G7 nations to deal with this. Um, it doesn't help that our political leadership is also one of the biggest turkeys on the on the planet when he says stuff like <laughs> the budget will balance itself and all that, right? Again, if you were the CEO of a publicly traded company that came out and said, I don't care about monetary policy or the budget will balance itself. Like hopefully the shareholders would have fired him in a heartbeat, right? But that didn't happen. Point being, there are people that are making enough waves. Uh, Jeff, Jeff and Pierre Poiliev definitely talk. Um, I talk with Pierre, not nearly as often as, uh, as Jeff does. 
But Pierre has told people he owns Bitcoin. Now, does he take it to the next level? Gosh, I hope someone in Canada has the guts to actually say it would be wise that we put some Bitcoin on our balance sheet. Wow. G7 Nation puts Bitcoin on balance sheet. Talk about the game theory that that opens up then, right? And all of a sudden, they avoid the Turkey scenario because Turkey could have done something when they needed to three or four years ago. But they didn't. They were led astray. Now they're paying the price. And you don't like to see it, but it's happened historically. It will happen again. But when it happens to a big country, again, one of the G10 or G7s, then it'll be real because the contagion will be unavoidable. Canada's the United States' second largest trading partner. Imagine if Canada hits some sort of financial distress. That will have knock-on effects into the USA. They will register, and you do need protection on that level. If if you have a, uh, you know, if let's say the supply chains are transitory and you start to see a lot of these inflationary numbers come down and they're able to actually get it under control, um, I think this could push out much, much longer. Okay. Um, similar to like, uh, I mean, look at 2008, 2009 to now, like it's, it's, it's unfathomable to me that it's taken this long for the economic calculation to start kind of showing up in the supply chains, to be quite honest with you. Yes. So maybe they can get it back under control. This would be me arguing with myself with my earlier argument is if they could get that under control and they can, and they can bring some of these CPI numbers back down to what appears to be similar to the yields that you're seeing in the fixed income market and the sovereign fixed income market, then maybe they can push this out for another five years or something. But um, everything that I've seen and just kind of the, the, uh, the sentiment out there is that the, these numbers, these CPI numbers are going to hang around. Now, oh, I, think, no I think the 6.8 is probably probably the highest we're going to see on this current mini cycle that we keep experiencing. Um, I don't necessarily see it going much higher than that. In fact, I think it might even contract a little bit, but I don't see it going back below like five or 4%. And as long as it's even that high relative to the, the yields that you're seeing everywhere else, like that is a massive spread. Like you are losing tons of buying power with a spread like that. Oh yeah. And I just and, and I just wanted to say, uh, Jim Jim Cramer has to be the peak fiat currency. Like he is he is the fiat host of fiat hosts. Uh, you know, like if you were playing a game of like a video game of like fiat and you were on like the final level and you're going up against like the final boss, it would be Jim Cramer. Don't give him that much credit. I know what you mean, but you know, I can't Here's accept great him as thing. any sort of final boss because he's such a buffoon. Him and Hanky. It might be between. Yeah. <laughs> How about this? At least the world knows what the term fiat means. Isn't it great? Yeah. I promise yeah. you 10 years ago, most of the world didn't even know what the term fiat meant. At yeah. least yeah. the education. And this is perhaps where, you know, I, I can end it on a hopeful note for my commentary. I'm working with a couple of guys including a surgeon, a trauma surgeon from Madison, Wisconsin, a couple of guys, a guy from Germany, a guy from uh, Daz Bea from Australia. I mentioned Seb Bunny. There's another hedge fund guy we're trying to recruit. We're just trying to put together an educational platform that'll have different levels of understanding of the financial system that people can go into. And, you know, you call it apprentice, you call it uh, various levels to eventually a master's level where 
it's not traditional education that you get in the universities. It's thinking outside the box. It gives a smattering of real life experiences. And that's what it's all about is the education. So I'll, I'll call out my friend, Jason Sansoni here. He's the trauma surgeon from Madison, Wisconsin. It, it was his motivation to try and educate. Why? This guy puts people back together like a mechanic would put a busted car back together but he does not understand the financial system and he wants to mm. and it's these type of people that are going to change the world for the common person who's an expert in something but may not be the expert in finance doesn't mean they're not highly intelligent it's just that they focus their their brain power elsewhere it is a movement that is unstoppable and I have never been so bullish about the intellectual prowess that is coming into the Bitcoin community. Yeah, you get sidetracked with the shit coiners and all this other stuff, but you just got to bring them back to, hey, people, if there's no financial system and there's no network transfer from the irresponsible fiat standard to a more sustainable Bitcoin standard, doesn't matter what other side chains you have going on. It doesn't matter. You got to focus on the here and now. Capitalism needs this. And thank goodness there is this immigration of talent into the Bitcoin community. And it starts with guys like John, you know, your podcast and Preston, man, I am just so in awe that I'm a regular guest on these things only because this, I knew when I came out of school, I didn't realize how little I knew. You'd never realize it until you put 30 years in, into a business and you realize, oh my God, was I ever green, right, Preston? <laughs> oh my God, I paid all this money for something. And really the only thing it taught me was time management, discipline, but it really didn't teach me any true life skills that you need God, to manage no. money no. or risk. No, yeah, so true. <laughs> So it takes time. And you know what? And, and I love it because I'm 58 and I'm meeting guys, you know, I call out the boomer class, right? I'm like, you guys are so soft. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm the soft and I'm a boomer and I call them out and people are like, well, you stop it. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to make a difference. And this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I got, I got one more question technical wise, and then I'll let you guys go. Um, and also just on that point about like pulling people in, I'm sure you guys saw sailor on Tucker Carlson, right? Did yeah. you watch that? I, I, I saw clips of it. Me too. I, it was, it was pretty masterful. You should check. Cause you know, Tucker, I think he has the largest uh, mainstream news uh, audience on the go, you know, and he's actually one who does say, you know, maybe you don't agree with all of his opinions, but he seems, he seems willing to say what the Frank truth, at least as far as he sees. It. And it's interesting to get him starting to talk about inflation and fiat, as you say, and starting to talk about Bitcoin now and to have, you know, sailor drop a bomb up for an hour on his audience was a you know pretty uh, beautiful thing to watch but the uh, the last kind of technical question was do you guys think do you think there's a case for deflation in this timeline that we're working on and uh if i could sneak a cheeky one in there i know that there have been a couple of questions lately around debt in a in a bitcoin system i don't know if we have time to crack into that chestnut but if you want to comment go for it I'll, I'll answer first. Uh, look, it doesn't matter whether we have inflation or deflation. It's irrelevant. Currency needs to debase to solve the debt spiral. In a deflationary environment, environment, we still have a debt spiral. 
okay? It may mean that the economy just is the thing that's not keeping up because you have your debt on the, in, in the numerator, you have your growth or your deflation of the economy in the denominator. It's only math that you can't keep up because the debt balloon is expanding organically in either an inflationary environment or a deflationary environment. The currency has to debase because they need to solve the equation by printing more money. Very simple. Doesn't matter. I know everyone's going to say, oh, Bitcoin doesn't work. It's only an inflation protection. No, Bitcoin is fiat protection and fiat debases no matter what. Yeah, I don't even want to. I, th I think most people get extremely confused on the terminology between inflation and deflation. Um, and um, I think Greg just summarized it in a way that is most important, which is the fiat will continue to, to debase itself. There's going to be more and more of those units. And if there's more and more of those units and Bitcoin is, is pegged at a fixed amount, um, the value of it's going to have to go up relative to those fiat units if they keep expanding it. It's just mm -hmm. that simple. Sure. All right. Debt in a, in a Bitcoin system. Wow. Um, you know, this, this again, we'll go back to the, um, we'll go back to the El Salvador experience and this is going to be a litmus test. No question. Um, debt takes on a different perspective because in a capitalist system that uses such high leverage like banks being 25 times leverage they need inflation so the de facto collateral that they have on four percent of their uh, uh, of the loan it needs to increase and that's what happens in an inflationary environment if bitcoin ushers in a deflationary lending standard you'll see much less leverage in the system, which is healthy. The difference though is, how do you price that? And I'm gonna toss that question to Preston and it's, a, it's, it's an open market process. There's no other way to do it. You can't centralize that. And I don't actually know, you know, Michael Saylor probably has a vision of it because he's doing the, you know, the speculative attack on current capital markets in, in his best way. But it happens when a big company like a, 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 a $1.6 trillion company like Amazon does it. I mean, with all due respect to Mr. Saylor, he's still the market cap of his company or the enterprise Middle. value of his company is still relatively small. And he can't do it in the size that's going to show what a Bitcoin standard will do in the open debt markets. What it will do more than anything, John, is it will replace the existing bond allocation. I am 100% certain about that because the math doesn't work, as Preston's already said. You get a 1% coupon on a fixed contract. There's, it's only mathematics. And you're losing. That's a nominal yield. And you're, depending on what your CPI is, in the short term anyway, you're losing 6, 7, even 10% or more per year. Now, if that narrows because of deflation baskets or whatnot, doesn't matter. 1% is still the peg. That's all you got. And you have pension funds that have 8% hurdles. How do you make 8% out of 1% if 40% of your allocation, being the bond allocation, is in 
something earning one to let's say 3%, depending on high yield versus treasuries, et cetera. It doesn't work guys. And this is all part of the machinations of where does Bitcoin fit into this asset allocation model? And that's why I'm bullish. I wanna run through it again. There's 900 trillion US dollars of total addressable market financial assets. Let's say Bitcoin gets 5% of it. Very simple. Today's dollars, 5%, 45 trillion. 45 trillion divided by 21 million. There's your $2 million of Bitcoin in today's dollars. Man, I think it goes way higher than 10% of your total addressable market, but we got to get to 5% first. We're not even right now at a fraction of a percent, okay? And that's the exciting thing. There's the asymmetric return opportunity. And over 35 years, I've learned one thing. Asymmetric trade opportunities or asymmetric investment opportunities define your career. You don't get a whole lot of chances to get into one of them. And if you do, I promise you, it defines your career. So, John, I think you're talking about in a post, like Bitcoin is being used as currency type world. What does debt look like in that world? Is that what the... Yeah, I mean, both perspectives are interesting, but yeah, that's the one yeah. that I was wondering about more. So Greg was addressing more the transition as we go to a world that's more Bitcoin-esque. Yeah. And I guess what I'll do is I'll take the I'll take the other side of that, which is, okay, let's say we're now on a Bitcoin standard. It's actually being used as if currency is used today, even though it's still money um, because it has those unique uh, qualities to it. So in this world... Uh, Debt is not nearly anything like the size that it is today. Everything is much more equity-based. If you're going to own something and you're not holding Bitcoin itself, you're going to own something that, ha that has equity that is kicking off free cash flows. Uh, free cash flows are going to become great again uh, in a Bitcoin world because um, the incentive structure that you have today, which is own anything that's tech-related that's achieving a massive network effect, you're still going to want to do those things in a Bitcoin world, but you're also going to want to own something that's kicking off free cash flows uh, so that you can get some of that Bitcoin back that you're uh, putting into the business in, in exchange for that equity. Um, there's still going to be, no matter what, there's still going to be some debt in this, in this system. The, it's going to be a rare occurrence relative to how prevalent it is. I mean, it makes up everything in, in the economy today and everything's fractional reserve based. Everything is debt based. Um, when it's going to be used in a Bitcoin world, at least how I foresee it being used is let's say you started a business, John, you've, you've captured lightning in a bottle and uh, you're growing like crazy. You're not profitable, but anyone can look at this. Let's say you just invented the new CRISPR technology or something like that. Anyone who can look at this and say, um, I want to own that equity. He obviously needs some type of cash flow but we're in a Bitcoin kind of world. So you have to raise Bitcoin from investors. Um, but because you've captured lightning in a bottle and because you have everybody tripping over themselves to give you their, their Bitcoin in exchange for that equity, um, you now basically hold a lot more leverage than the person who's lending you the money or, or giving you the money to invest into the business. In that unique scenario, those equity owners that, that currently hold that equity have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to issue debt and I'll make it convertible 
And it's only convertible if these certain things are achieved. And this is what you see in a lot of venture deals and in the way that venture deals are structured is, um, or just in private equity deals. Um, if the, if the founder has captured that lightning in a bottle and they have all these people that are trying to throw money at them, they're in the driver's seat. They can kind of call the shots as they see fit, uh, much more so than somebody who's like running out of money and maybe the idea will work or it isn't going to work. And they're basically begging people to, to raise more money so that they can have enough cash flows for another two quarters. That's a completely different situation. And uh, the people that are buying that up are going to take everything and they're going to own the equity and they're not going to be doing some type of debt deal that's convertible. So <clears throat> those are the scenarios where I see debt being issued in a Bitcoin world. Outside of that scenario that I'm describing, there's not too many like really good scenarios of like debt being issued without some type of government intervention and stepping in to try to... Um, and, and here's here's another scenario that I think is important. I think what you're going to see also is you're going to see nation states that are going to say, well, we have a currency as well, and it's pegged to Bitcoin, and we don't debase it, right? They're going to try to do those things. Um, and whether that works or not, I, I kind of suspect the entire world's going to be extremely suspect of of ever owning something like that. Yeah. Um, but with time, maybe 40 years, 50 years later, after you know, the kids of these people that experienced this, this event are older, maybe something like that might work again. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it, it's a super interesting topic. And I think, you know, probably deserving of its own three hour podcast oh, in yeah, itself. Yeah. But on your point, Foss, about asymmetric bets, you know, I sometimes think like when this when we're through hyper Bitcoinization, right, 10 years, 15 years, whenever it is, and like all of us Bitcoiners are sitting around and Bitcoin's not exciting anymore. I feel like we're just going to ring up you boys and be like, all right, guys, what's the next thing? Like, it's just going to be like this big investors club. It's going right? to <laughs> yeah, yeah, be equity. Yeah, I know. We're going to be looking at you to identify it. You know, we're going to be like, which yeah. ones? You know, Preston, you've done the work. Foss, you've, you've done the work. Tell us where to do it. I think Bitcoin will still be the exciting thing in 10 years. I really do. I mean, it's it's just, you know, let's borrow the line from uh, Mr. Sailor. It goes up forever, Laura. And, um, you know, it really is that mathematically uh, simple. It's definitely Don't... going up forever, but not as fast. That's the Okay, fair enough. Fast. But listen, some of the worst decisions people ever make is diversification. They diversify. <laughs> they think they're diversifying, but they diversify. Okay. The hardest thing to do is stick with your winner and stick with your best horse in the race. Jeff is not here with us, but he is famous of saying, we're going to have a hundred years of change in the next 10 years. Let's not pretend we can see out 10 years. Let's regroup in a, in a shorter amount of time. Uh, we'll evaluate the progress. Um, we could be dealing with some uh, pretty sick markets uh, in, in, in Preston's eyes and even in Jeff's eyes, certainly not a 0% probability by any means. We have to get through some pretty rough seas in the short term. People Absolutely. say, don't invest in real estate because you can't take it with you. Well, there's only so long you can really live on the, you know, the nomad life that you're reading, you're living too, right, John? Like, I mean, there's a, a point where you want to be able to settle down and trade offs. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, so I guess what I would say is this Bitcoin in the here and now is still so exciting. And so many people haven't even gotten into it. I'm actually happy that the price hasn't run away from them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And 
whether it hasn't run away due to technicalities or whether we're getting somewhat diluted with the shitcoin casino and everything, all that is just a question of markets. The really big change happens when a nation state of significance takes a position in Bitcoin and all of a sudden you'll see these gaps that will be scary because we're trying to figure out whether Bitcoin should be trading at 40,000, 50,000 or 60,000. That'll be the delta on a day. And then it might get a little crazy because the gamma squeeze, the gamma squeeze, and I'm getting granular here, but this is option talk. The gamma squeeze in Bitcoin is going to melt faces. Unfortunately, I hope people are invested and have gotten off zero before that. I, I really like Greg's comment about, hey, we're not going to be anywhere near like some of this stuff to be considered for probably at least 10 years. And I agree with him. And it's like, hey, let's reassess. Let's see what that looks like in 10 years. Some yeah. of the metrics that I would be kind of using to help me bridge that transition of like, hey, maybe I might want to actually take some of my Bitcoin and start owning equity with it. What what I would be looking at for a uh, a key um a trigger or a flag that would that would make me start looking at that. Michael Saylor has an amazing website. It's called strategy.com. If you go to strategy.com, he has ev- uh, uh, the top 500, the S&P 500 companies listed right there on the homepage of strategy.com. So yeah. It's amazing. And it, when you look at this, every single company that's listed is basically at least uh between a negative 33% return or a negative 66% return against Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. When you're able to go to strategy.com, assuming it stays up, and you pull this up and you're actually seeing half of these companies as green relative to Bitcoin, that's probably the point where you can start making some good value investing, smart, calculated, IRR calculation type uh, decisions on what to do with your Bitcoin to allocate it into equities that are probably going to actually outperform Bitcoin. Mm. But I don't see that happening. Like Greg said, for probably 10 years, like yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a while, Yeah. but you better believe when it happens, I'll be here talking about it. Which I, basically I, just means I, when I things are really, well, yeah. And we'll be following what you're saying, but you know, you're basically saying when things are properly repriced in Bitcoin, then it might be some, might be time yeah. to uh, reallocate. It's going to uh, go up forever, Laura, but it's going to go up especially at the end, like when you're in Venezuela, as an example, and you went from, I think the, the hundred trillion dollar note that's worth $5 or $4 or whatever, when it went from a hundred or it went from 10 trillion to a hundred trillion, you basically got like 50 cents more of buying power, right? You didn't get a whole lot more buying power with that. And so, um, I suspect you know, at a certain point, who knows when you're going to have that type of thing where nobody's, nobody's even taking you serious because you're saying, Hey, I'll give you how many, however many dollars to, to own a house. Like they're just going to get laughed out of the room. It won't even be entertained. Um, and when you get to that point, that's when some of this stuff where owning equities and exchanging your Bitcoin for cash or for, uh, Bitcoin generating, uh, ownership and equity will become. A- I'll, I'll go one step further. When everyone's speaking Spanish, because El Salvador is the richest country in the world, <laughs> then we'll go from there, right? And we'll go. I mean, we'll go and have a huge steak dinner and pay five satoshis each for uh, 
you know, for it all. Let me tell you, what they're doing is remarkable. I'm so impressed. And I know there's so many people that want it to fail. And that's disgraceful. Okay. This is about changing the lives of people that heretofore have been mistreated and underprivileged on a relative basis to us soft boomers. Okay. Me, soft boomer Foss. I want El Salvador to win. Okay. Because they deserve it. And fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the brave. And El Salvador is being bold and brave right now. So hats off to them and happy holidays to everybody in that fine country. I hope to come down and visit within the next three months before the, uh, the Bitcoin Miami uh, show. Yeah, that'll be fun. I might jump in on that trip. But boys, I know it's late. Uh, so I'll say thanks. It's always fun to jam and Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll speak to you in the new year. Merry Christmas. It's so great. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon, eh? See, See you, boys. Thank you. Thank you.